Welcome to TCN Talks. I'm your host, Chris Como, and the goal of our podcast is 15 to 20 minutes of relevant need to know to help you in your role as a hospice, palliative care, serious illness leader, and team member at all levels of the organization. So our goal is concise and relevant need to know to help you in your role. And the bookend of our podcast is always something to make you think deeper about life itself, but also about our topic of the day. So welcome. Before we get started today, I want to thank our sponsor, Delta Care Rx. Delta Care Rx is the title sponsor for our 2022 TCN Leadership Immersion Courses. Delta Care Rx is the premier vendor of Telios Collaborative Network and provides pharmacy benefit management services that allow their clients to experience deep discounts utilizing a preferred local network of pharmacies that can provide same-day delivery when necessary. Just want to thank Delta Care Rx for being such a great TCM partner and just for all the great work they do in the hospice industry. So I'm excited today. Our guest is Jack Neal. Jack is the founder and CEO of Hank AI. Welcome, Jack. Hey, thanks, Chris. Great to be here. Absolutely. Well, Jack, first off, what does our audience need to know about you and what do they need to know about Hank AI? Um, so uh, well, most people want to know about me. Uh, so I, I, I started life as a computer developer. That was my first passion. And then um, uh, I tried to make a living doing that, but I was too young and it was uh, 2003. And um, so with some scholarship left, I ended up taking some pre-med courses and going, got into medical school. So um, didn't know anything about it, uh, except for it turned out to be really hard. Um, and so... <laughs> Uh, went through that, ended up doing um, anesthesia as a specialty and then pediatric anesthesia. And through that process, I kept um, developing, writing software. That's my first love. It's just, you, know, you get lost when you're writing code. And uh, so kind of got into machine learning and, you know, with the big, kind of my, my main focus was reducing how much time we spend doing things that aren't very useful as we try to actually take care of people. Um, and then that opened a lot of different went a lot of different ways, programmed a whole bunch of different prototypes of different projects and things. And then um, finally sort of settled in on a technology to go after. And uh, that's where we started um, Hank AI or Hank Health. Um, and so we, we started in the revenue cycle space just because that's where we could get the margin to go after our mission. But, uh, you know, our missions kind of reinvent the way healthcare is paid for over time and you know, reduce the documentation burden. So that's our kind of overarching big picture. Uh, what we're doing and happy to talk more about it. And uh, yeah, well, just a little bit about you too. Before to share. Yeah. What about a little bit too about personally too, Jack? I mean, you got a family, just a little bit more about you. Oh yeah. Yeah. I do have a family. Um, and, and, and I do remember them uh, probably not enough. <laughs> so I'm sure if you ask my wife, she wished it, but uh, you know, it's a delicate balance, balancing the two running a company. And uh, you know, we have a four year old and a two year old and one that's on the way in September um, so we needed to have greater than two children to be our, to do our patriotic duty, uh, to make sure there are enough young people to support us old people when we get old. So we did it for our country. Um, but I, cause I was happy with you, but if my third child ever listens to this podcast, just know we love you too. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, we have three, we live in, uh, Columbia, around Columbia, South Carolina. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's, that's the family. Well, well, Jack, I, first off, I've appreciated our friendship. And so you and I used to go to dinner about once a quarter. And I don't know if you know why I would schedule them once a quarter, because it would take me an entire quarter to unpack our conversation each time. I still remember uh, I was one of Four Seasons board members. And 
I said, you got to meet this guy, Jack Neal. He's, he's, a, he's a bit of a unicorn. He's an anesthesiologist and he loves technology and you two will totally hit it off. And so I was just starting to hear about this concept of artificial intelligence when I first sought you out. And every time I have a conversation with you, you just blow my mind. In fact, I'm thinking we're going to call this podcast, The Robots Are Coming, Oh My. So maybe a really good place for you and I to start is, what is artificial intelligence? To, um, to to I, I tend to you know try to think about it you know it's it, we're, we're looking at sort of first what is human you kind of need to dissect what is human to decide what is artificial and so you know to me you know there's two parts to what people think of and we we over we use the word AI wrong a lot or you know what's wrong who knows but uh, we use it sometimes in many different ways and I would I typically think of AI as the software right and the hardware is the robot. And so, like, a robot is just a machine. And so if we put the two together, you can get an artificially intelligent robot, which is, like, a droid, and something that's humanistic. humanistic. And um, so I typically think of the two that way. And um, even in AI, the, the, an interesting thing about it is, is, you know, AI has been around, quote, AI has been around since Turing first talked about it a long time ago. But um, it really is whatever we haven't done yet, right? So... Whatever human mimicking technologies we come out with, the moment that they become mainstay and, and in use, we tend to stop calling them AI. Um, you use it every day. You talk to your devices at home. You know, you start typing on your phone. It tells you what you want. Google Docs tells you the next word. You know, you're doing all these things that technically would be considered AI. Uh, your Google search, being able to use the word, you know, door, and it know that also means panel. And that stuff is technically AI, right? It's natural language understanding. But we don't think of it as that. So it's a, it's a long-winded answer to say it's whatever we haven't done yet that mimics the human algorithm, typically how I think of it. Well, and maybe some of our listeners are thinking, why did Kumo bring a technology guy on? What's this got to do with healthcare? So now that's my, <laughs> oh, yeah. my second question is, how do you foresee our <laughs> artificial intelligence, how it's going to be utilized in healthcare? And Jack, let's kind of segment it into maybe the next five years and then maybe beyond the five years, because I have a feeling you'd answer the question differently with that time frame. Yeah, there's there's a lot of hope and promise in the next five years. It's like self-driving car tech, right? It's like, oh, we'll be driving them. They'll be driving us next year, and then it's ten years later. So there's a lot of stuff that we think will be in five, and it probably won't. Um, but you know, most of the goals, I think, you know, so, so it's hard for me to say what'll be in the next five versus beyond it. Um, you know, technically there's a lot of things that will be here within the next five, but due to regulation or, you know, we want a human to blame. So you want a human in the loop still, um, there, there's still that type of stuff that's going to prohibit it from, from kind of quite being mainstay, but you know, there's going to be a lot around the provider interface with the patient. Um, there's going to be, um, you know, documentation reduction. They're the ones that have the most, uh, most, most to gain there by reducing, you know, fee-for-service visits. Uh, so you'll start to see some of that come in. You'll be seeing a lot of betas around this. I think you'll see a lot of, you'll hear about it a lot. I, I, until you can prove the value, a lot will just be pilots and trials. And I think for the next year, five, you're going to see tons of pilots and trials on a lot of these things. Um, beyond five, I think we'll have settled on some real, you know, re realistic approaches to how we've implemented this into the patient experience. Well, come talk now, what are some of the five plus the five years? Because I love that uh, Bill Gates quote, people overestimate five and they underestimate 10. 
So kind of put on your prophecy hat or your crystal ball a little bit. What can we see in that five plus years? This is the place probably to blow people's minds a little bit. Yeah, I mean, you're going to see a tremendous amount of care provided at home. Um, And that's going to be enabled because of sort of triaging algorithms that can identify and detect when, you know, care is needed. There's a quote that I love that's, um, you know, patients don't deteriorate all of a sudden. We just notice all of a sudden. And I think that what what happens is even when you add all these data points at home and you put sensors on people and you get people out of the hospital sooner, you you know, out of a rehab facility when you start moving out that way, um, who who can monitor all that all that data, all that information? You can't, right? No no person can. So you'll need self, you know, some type of quote algorithm, AI, machine learning, what what you want to call it, to monitor a patient and let you know when intervention is needed, monitoring compliance and other things. So I think you're going to see a tremendous amount of care from home that does not involve physical care. And then you're going to see, you know, that that's going to fundamentally shift. I think uh, the physical presence of a lot, you know, many organizations, they've consolidated buildings and consolidated staff. Um, and I think you are at risk of seeing only acute care is remains to some degree. And, and um, a lot is in your home re- re- rehabilitation and even, Stuff that used to be taken care of in on the floors of hospitals will be done at home. We weren't, we don't even monitor patients on those floors of hospitals, right? You're only there so the nurse can come help every now and then. Um, that's that's not real acute care. I mean, so I think it's that that to me that's not magical stuff. That's just a fundamental change in how care is provided. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I think the payments will follow. I think payments will come. You know, value based care is what we're all after, but. I don't know if I can say this. You can delete this from the podcast if I can't. But value, but you know, a good outcome is kind of like pornography, right? We, it's hard to say what it is, but we know it when we see it. <laughs> right. Um, so I think that most AI is complicated algorithms that are hard to define. You know, why did they say what they said? Why did they choose what they chose? That's exactly what we need for value-based care and quality outcome measurements. Because the moment you tell me what a good outcome is, every provider gains the system and ruins it. So I think you do need something that's more complex and harder to define, and you need a black box sort of quality to calculate it for patients. That's 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 the that's the magic piece that I think comes, but I'm a technical geek, so the audience might not. Last time you and I had talked, it seemed like, um, and you kind of allude to this in your intro, like the low-hanging fruit for artificial intelligence is a lot of tasks that are repetitive, that you're not using your higher level kind of problem solving skills as a human being. And so, so how, how do you teach the artificial intelligence? Like how do you get the repetitive task out of the human into the artificial intelligence? How does that work? And why would people tell you that? Cause yeah. that'll eliminate the repetitive task part of their job. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's a complicated, you know, psychological conundrum, right? I mean, even our, even our company, we, we kind of brand with a motto of help the humans and, you know, Hank isn't human, so you can be, right? You have to tell the right story, craft the right story. And, you know, during every every cycle, you know, of work, you know, you know, from an industrial revolution where jobs used to be, you know, running plants and losing fingers, right, to where now you sat behind and machines did it and it takes less people to do it, but those people elevated to something different and they moved into services and there's much more service work. Once service work goes away, what's left, right? What If we can automate a large percentage of that, there will be jobs, you know, and, and I, you know, in my personal, I've got two, two kids. So I hope those jobs become teaching, preaching, like 
you know, the things that are wholesome, good human traits and not clicking, you know, not, you know, slaves to the screen. Um, that's just, you know, that's just awful in my opinion that that's what jobs have become button clicking. So I think the more that we can get rid of and the more we can get back to human interaction and, you know, you know, the, I've blessed the people who teach my kids soccer, right? I mean, I go out there and those coaches are committed to teaching them soccer and they get paid nothing. And they're, that's what we need. You know, we need more of that. We need those to be paid, raise our kids, teach our kids. And, um, that's where the job should go. Right. So how do you get it out of the minds? Um, luckily over the past, you know, 50 years, slowly, a lot of jobs have become sort of an algorithm. They've become, there's a dedicated, a defined input and a defined output. Right. We've tried to whittle jobs down to there's not Sally who does 50 things. No, Sally does one thing. What does she do? Inbound mail. Right. Okay. Well, Sally has slowly become a very defined process. So if you're looking at how do we, how do we automate that or at least augment it heavily, Sally's job has already become a very commoditized item. Right. And so as you have that front desk worker who's doing the same repetitive job over and over, you don't have the physician who's checking in the patient. You have one person who does it over and over. We've kind of created jobs that are very specialized and actually very prone, if the technology can support it, to automation. And that, you know, the technology has showed up. Um, the jobs have already been whittled into, you know, sort of algorithmic, <laughs> small little, small things. So do people actually sit with you and your team, Jack? So just very practically um, and say, here's what I do repetitively and you teach the robot to do it, or is it a little bit more complicated than that? Yeah, it's a little more complicated. It's observation. um, And then there's a lot of ways to approach it. And, you know, there's no one size fits all, but, but in general, you know, one of the ways that works the best is whatever the workflow is that person's already doing, Sort of make sure that your software, your interface that they're working through is doing this while they work. So if it's trying to create predictions about what they should do and it's wrong, ask them why, right? So they can either give you information about why, highlight information on the screen that tells them why, but kind of have something that's working with them. And the goal is that when they win, we all win, right? You know, so there might be a hundred, you know, there might be a thousand people doing this job in the country and we have 10 of them at our company. And we might only need a hundred in the country after we've, you know, succeeded at what we're doing. But guess what? The 10 here will still be here, right? Right. 900 went away from somewhere else, but you better work with the companies doing it because if they get rid of the jobs and that you're not a part of that, if you like doing the job, if you don't like doing the job, then that's right. fine. But like if, if you enjoy the part you're doing, it's just, you're going to become symbiotic with the machine and not like, you know, if you put up walls against it, you're going to become obsolete. In, in, in the use cases where these things are being applied. Yeah. The other kind of viewpoint, and Jack, you know, Dr. Lee Thayer was a mentor of mine, pretty incredible guy. And it, it's interesting, you know, he he died at uh, 95 or 96, but he wrote a paper that was kind of titled The Bots Are Coming. And his whole viewpoint in life is whatever work you do, you should become a virtuoso at it. In other words, a virtuoso is the best of the best. It's usually used in the arts. And that if your job can be replaced by a robot or artificial intelligence, it probably should be. In other words, if you're just a more sophisticated version of a robot pressing a button every day, in fact, in one of our leadership trainings that we do, you shadowed one of them a long time ago. I use one of the videos from, remember Lost, that um, TV series? 
And there was that uh, mm-hmm. scene where they kept pressing the button every day and they didn't know what happened if they quit pressing the button, but they just press it every day. I use that yeah. as a metaphor to say, how many of you feel like there are people in your organization that that's their job? <laughs> they keep pressing the button and they have no idea what the button actually does. And so if you're working on mastery as a certified nursing assistant or a nurse in terms of how you approach your job, if you're working on mastery, the parts that your job that are the least fun is the stuff that's repetitive. So that is the stuff one day we'd want technology to take over for. So I imagine you would agree with that. Yeah, definitely. I think that yeah, it's, it's a shame. And, and I see this, you know, as an anesthesiologist, I see this sometimes, you know, forget about technology, but just in work. There are times when we sort of start to believe, like you're saying, that our job is something it's not. And we start to think that even though I might not, I, I might not need to do this, whatever, this widget, this item, right? But if I don't, I'm not very busy, right? And now I start to look not very needed. So I think there's, even beyond AI, there's still parts of some jobs that you don't admit we could probably do away with because that busyness makes me feel comfortable that I'm needed and appear, appear, uh, appear vital. And uh, it's like a lot of the documentation that we, we end up doing in healthcare we don't really question it. We, 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 we complain about it constantly. We don't necessarily question it because if we were faster, we worry what would happen. Like, uh, if I, if two thirds of my time wasn't documenting patient care, what would happen? Like, do they need two thirds less of us (laughs) or yeah, you just worry about it. So instead you just go along. The, the, the problem is the money talks and, and, it's for better or worse places that can be automated in my opinion should be. Um, and to the payer, you know, to whomever is writing the check, they want it to be. So Hmm. it's kind of, you know, it's coming wherever it can come regardless. Uh, I think being a part of it and learning and working with it is going to, uh, be very helpful and actually financially lucrative to you. Cause if you're a part of the company to do it, then you're probably getting stock options and other things. So you probably retire. Um, instead of keeping on pushing the button for 30 more years. Hmm. Well, Jack, what closing thoughts do you have about the whole concept of artificial intelligence? And then I also wonder what's your, what's maybe your favorite book and why? Um, yeah, I, I, not magic. So first, off, <laughs> I think people start to think it's magic. There's no magic in this world other than Harry Potter. And I rode that ride at universal. We can go on that. It's a great ride. Um, but there's no other magic in this world, right? So it's got flaws, it's got limitations, it learns bias, it has no common sense at all, right? It's just zeros and ones in very complicated manners. So, you know, there, it, it's not replacing what humans are, right? It's just getting us off the computer screens, right? Computers came along 60 years ago and now we're all stuck on them. And, you know, that's a crying shame. So yep. um, I'd say, you know, it's, it's, it's not, you know, it's kind of not magic, but it's, but it's, it's good enough that it's going to be a lot of processes are going to be augmented. They're going to be optimized, not automated, but augmented. Um, and so it'll you know, be just much more efficient processes. And then hopefully we can have great little league coaches. And God, that's my, that's my dream. Um, I mean, I got a lot of books I love. Uh, so this, oh, it's a crazy hard question, but um, I'm only, I'm only, I'm only going to give two. One is Shoe Dog by Phil Knight, and that's like just an amazing book. If you've never read it, everybody should read that one. That's about the Nike story. Uh, just amazing, amazing writing. But um, when it comes to this space, uh, I love The Most Human Human. 
Um, and that's a book that, uh, what's the author? Um, put me on the spot. I can't remember the author, but, um, every year there was a Turing competition where the Turing test is basically can a machine spoof an unknowing, uh, participant into thinking it's a person, right? That's the Turing test. So if you're interacting with a machine, not voice, it's not about the tone of the voice. Mm -hmm. It's about a chatbot basically, but can from the, from the language part, uh, can you trick a human into thinking it's, it's, it's not a, a machine. Um, and so this guy, you know, when you have that chance, that challenge, when they have that test, you need a human control group, right? They can't all be machines. You'd always guess machines. So there's some that are actually humans, right? That, you know, behind the, behind the fence, they're actually humans behind the machine. And so his goal was to be judged the most human human. Cause there's a, they also, they always judge the most human machine, like that people thought might've been a human and then the most human human. And so he spent tons of time studying like what it meant to be human and in conversation. And it was very fascinating to think about like in conversation, what is human and what is not, why do we pick up on? And, you know, there's, you know, machines are bad at keeping context. They're keep they're bad at keeping like, um, you know, like five minutes ago I said something about, or a minute ago I said something about Harry Potter, right? Right. You lose all that context. Machines can't keep up with the context. People can, but the trick is the way to trick it is if I just if you say something argumentative, humans lose context too. So if all of a sudden right now I sh I throw in a comment and I'm just like I love Russia, anything. You say something awful. You say 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 something that's argumentative everything we talked about goes away and you're right here right now. Right. And so it's, it's just fascinating to think through that in every conversation we have in life, you know, that happens constantly to us, right? <laughs> we lose the fact that we're friends and we know things like it's, you know, that book is masterful. Uh, I recommend it to anybody who's got a tiny little nerd bone in their body. Um, <laughs> and Yeah. I've told you the whole book now, so you might not need to That's awesome, Jeff. You actually just, I think you just uncovered a tactic my teenagers use with me, actually. And so I think that they try to, <laughs> try to do that, actually, when I'm on them about something. So you just got me onto them. So that's a great tip. Well, Jack, thanks. And I want to close with a quote, as we always do. And I think you'll see why I chose this quote today. It's an Albert Hubbard quote, same guy who actually wrote the letter to Garcia, um, which is a fascinating essay. But he says, one machine can do the work of 50 ordinary men, but no machine can do the work of one extraordinary man, and I'll add, or woman. And I think that's the key message I wanted a lot of hospice powder care people to hear about this concept of artificial intelligence. And it is coming to healthcare, but if we do the work that we do masterfully by the bedside with patients and families, that's the part they can't take away. What they can take away is all that stuff that agitates you that doesn't allow you to do that wonderful mission-focused work. And that's our hope anyway as we go forward. So, Jack, thanks for your time today. Yeah, thank you, Chris. And, and, and that, what you just said, it, it spurred one more thing. I have one more thing, and then I, and then I have nothing else to say. But uh, there's a blog called Wait But Why. It's like literally Wait, W-A-I-T, But Why blog. Um, and the guy who writes it, he's also Elon Musk found him, and he's now Elon's personal blogger. But um, it's, he has, there's a, point in there he has a lot about ai so there's some great posts in there about ai if you want to learn about it very long blog post um but he has this concept called the die progress unit the dpu and he basically said that it, it wouldn't it be cool if you could go back and pick somebody up in a time machine and bring them down bring them to today and they just looked around and they'd see like us talking across a zoom call they'd see you know light they'd see you know 
the technology, everything that they see, they look around, see planes flying through the air, and they just die, right? They'd be like, can't take it, die, right? How long back do you think you have to go to get somebody for that to happen? And he presumed about 300 years, right? Before, you know, before any technology, before electricity, before airplanes. And so, okay, he did that. Now that guy says, I want to do that to somebody, right? I want to pick somebody up in a time machine and they look around and die. How far do you got to go back? You know, probably like, you know, 30,000 years, right? You got to go back to like before you had castles and boats that could sail and right. Um, that's probably, and then that guy said, I want to do that to somebody. How far do you got to go? You got to go back to the beginning of mankind before you can talk and make fire. So if you look at like the amount of time it took to wake up one day and die because the world had changed so much, it went from like 100,000 years to 30,000 years to 300 years. That trajectory means the next one is probably about 30, right? So in 30 years from now, if you were to wake up in it, you'd probably just die. You'd you'd be just so amazed at all the things, you know? So that to me is like, that's not long. (laughs) Hopefully my lifetime. Yeah, uh, I, I think I'll still be working, so or at least different. I was hoping to, <laughs> 30 years from now. <laughs> <laughs> but, but that means, like, we can't even sort of predict. It's not even possible. Like, life, wow. you know, we feel like every moment in time is not moving very fast, but it's a steep upward curve of progress, but it's these tiny little S waves that are going up it. And at every moment in time, we feel like we're on a flat part of that S, but you're actually on a very steep up. Wow. So just, yeah, don't, yeah. Well, thanks for that. That, agenda, that's, Jack. that's to me. Keep your mind wide open. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> well, thanks, Jack. And I thanks for everyone for listening today. Thanks for listening to TCN Talks.